0: Hi there, I'm Jen Hale Christie, and you're listening to Preach Her. This podcast is designed around the reality that many of our churches are shrinking because we haven't created a place where everyone can belong. So, if you're seeing that reality in your own church, or you've experienced that and left the church or never even went, this podcast is for you. Welcome. Have you heard about our Patreon community? It is an awesome way to join me and others in this good work. Whether you want to support women preachers and make sure that this work continues, or if you want to actually partner with me and have direct input, like you want to have a 30-minute phone call with me every month, or you want to join the sermon prep team, or you want to come and visit my family um, in Portland and help produce an episode, there are opportunities for you to engage at whatever level feels good for you. And everyone who's in the community gets access to our monthly letter, um, delivered to your inbox at the end of every month. So click the link in the show notes and let me know what you think. Welcome to season three, episode five of Preacher. I'm Jen Hale Christie, and today I am sharing a message from Acts 4, verses 1 through 22. And this is picking up where we left off last week. All right, here's the text While Peter and John were speaking to the people, priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to them, much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, "'By what power or by what name did you do this?' Then Peter There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. When they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So they ordered them to leave the council while they discussed the matter with one another. They said, what will we do with them? For it's obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable sign has been done through them. We cannot deny it. But to keep it from spreading further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them again, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all of them praised God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. Let's pray. God, in your goodness, you have brought us in safety to this new day. For this, we give you thanks. In your kindness and wisdom, you have given us this body of Christ, your church universal, your church throughout the ages, and for this, we give you thanks. God, today, grant us ears to hear, words to speak, a spirit of discernment and wisdom for the path before us. May we hear a word from you today. In your son's name, amen. Okay, here's where we're headed today. After a quick recap of last week, we're going to look at some background stuff and think about the sort of world out of which this story emerges. Next, we're going to dig into the story and we'll try to kind of peel back a few layers so we can see the dynamics at work, the things that aren't immediately obvious, like on the surface. And finally, we're going to see what God might have for us today. So last week, we were left with a cliffhanger. We were going about our business as usual when we got a kind of a holy interruption. We remember the tension in the air. These three guys, Peter, John, and the lame man, remember how they're all like locked in this soul-penetrating eye contact? And then like out of nowhere, God's Spirit breaks in and heals this guy who has never walked a day in his life. And yet now, he's jumping around and praising God, and we are faced with a choice. Will we accept and affirm that this is the work of God? Will we set aside our insecurities and our defensiveness? Will we admit that we aren't really in charge? Or will we grasp at our illusion of power? Will we reject this sign and try to silence them? Before we get to those questions, we need to talk a little bit about what life was like for Jews during this time of Roman occupation. And we've talked about this before. Already, they are under Rome's microscope. You know, they're only allowed to continue their religious traditions with the permission and at the mercy of the Roman Empire. So during this period, things are politically tense and they're actually dangerous. I mean, the Romans are ruthless in their pursuit and enforcement of the quote, Pax Romana. Now, we remember that that's supposed to be peaceful Roman rule, but we're not going to let the word peace fool us. We know that if you step out of line, the consequences will be swift and severe to maintain control and order. And so these Jewish leaders walk a delicate line. They're balancing on the one hand their Jewish heritage, their beliefs, their traditions, and on the other hand, the rules laid out by the Roman Empire. Have you guys seen that awesome movie in the Marvel Universe, the Captain America Winter Soldier, how there's this scene um, where Captain America is like hanging off of a roof and like with one arm he's holding on to um, a building and the other, or maybe it's like a ship, I don't remember. Um, anyway, one arm he's holding on to um, a big structure and the other arm he is holding on to a helicopter and it's like his body is about to be ripped in half. That is symbolic of the tension that we can feel at times and certainly, That the Jewish leaders felt like they're caught in the middle. They're being pulled so hard in these two different directions, and they know they're not going to please either side 100% of the time. They have power and authority over the Jewish commoners, but they're answering to their Roman overlords. They're really at their mercy. But in matters of religion, they are in charge. And you see, they have this all figured out, this religion stuff. I mean, sure, they used to follow a pillar of cloud, and they used to collect manna from the ground, but that was ages ago. They have the law now, and they know what it says. They have built walls around it to keep it safe and make sure they don't transgress it. They've got the, quote, right interpretation of God's word. They know how God desires the worship of God's people, and they are doing it right. For generations, they have told and retold the stories of God's faithfulness, even despite the unfaithfulness of their ancestors. But now, now they have it right. They figured it out. They aren't wandering in the wilderness anymore. They have arrived. They are in the Holy Land, the land promised to their people. They have figured it all out, and now they are the ones calling the shots. Well, for the most part, anyway. As long as they don't do anything that's a threat to the Roman Empire— things like affirming someone else as the son of God, a title that we know is reserved only for the Caesar, as long as they play by Rome's rules, they get to continue to rule over their little social and religious pocket in the Mediterranean. And they have their temple guards, their own security force that they can use when necessary. Because the Jewish leaders are supposed to keep their people in check. They'll bring something to the Romans when they need to, like when they need to have a criminal executed, but for the most part, they want Rome to stay out of their business. And if this crowd turns into a riot, or if Rome perceives it as a threat to the empire, then they're all in trouble. So for the Jewish leaders, keeping their people in check is both an obligation and an entitlement because they're the ones in charge. So back to our story. Will we accept that this is the work of God or will we reject it? We see two very different responses to the miraculous healing and teaching. On the one hand, we see the crowds, these tons and tons of people they're hearing and they're believing. In fact, we're told that a substantial number of them believe, thousands of them affirm that this is indeed the hand of God, that Jesus is actually alive and at work in our world. And this healing is proof of that. And on the other hand, we have the rulers. They're hearing the same message, but they're not believing. Their hearts are hard and their ears are closed to this message. They are the ones being rooted out from among the people. They are the ones Moses prophesied about, the ones who are rejecting the cornerstone it's not just that they're not believing. The text actually tells us that they are much annoyed or they are exasperated. They're irritated that Peter and John are proclaiming resurrection from the dead through Jesus. But why is this a problem? I mean, does it strike anyone else as an overreaction to throw someone in jail just because they're annoying you? I mean, okay, we've got a huge power struggle here, don't we? You've got these two ordinary guys who have done this extraordinary thing and thousands of people saw it and are now followers. And Luke tells us that the Jewish authorities got together, they brought in the big dogs, the high priest and others from his family. They try to show who's boss by throwing Peter and John in jail overnight. When they finally get around to the trial, the one question that we hear the authorities asking is, on whose authority are you doing this? What gives you the right, the audacity to do this? Don't you forget who's in charge here. They question them, they order them, they threaten them. They're strategic. In this situation, they decide against punishing them because there are literally thousands of people out there supporting them and believing their message. They would definitely have a riot on their hands if they punish these guys. But this message, it could go viral. So they try to suppress the story. They try to control the media. They do their best to make them keep quiet. Don't you forget who's in charge here. Remember the significance of all this taking place at the temple, the seat of religious authority. The lame man is healed and he goes dancing into the temple for the first time in his whole life. His healing signals his acceptance among God's people. One who was an outcast has been brought in. God is doing a new thing here. Salvation isn't only for those that we thought were on the inside. God is bringing more people in. God is doing things we aren't expecting. And right here in front of the temple, in front of the seat of the establishment, Peter is preaching a message that resists the establishment. This is a rally on the steps of the courthouse. Of course, the authorities are going to intervene. They've got to shut this down. This is their turf. They are the ones with the power and authority, authority to speak for God, authority to interpret the scriptures, and authority to interpret the law. The ones in this story, they're not only descendants of the covenant and the promise. They come from the right lineage, the high priestly family. They are the ones who are allowed to enter into the holy of holies, where precious few enter. They are the ones who get to be in the very presence of God And I gotta think, that would make you feel pretty special. It might even make you feel like you deserve to be in charge. I mean, they are the establishment. They are entitled to power. Already, Rome has limited their power, and that has to make them at least a little bit anxious. They are not about to give up any more of their power, certainly not for some uneducated commoners. And these uneducated commoners, they're drawing quite a crowd. They're preaching the good news of Jesus, which is in tension with what the Jewish authorities are teaching. They're stirring up the people. In the workplace, we might call this insubordination. Out in the streets, we might call this nonviolent resistance. And when you have crowds of people who begin to listen to a different narrative, when they begin to challenge the system, the authorities that enforce and uphold that system, they get very nervous. They get fearful and they react in dangerous ways. And these Jewish leaders know that you've got to cut that off quickly at the source. It's why they arrest Peter and John and threaten them. They better be quiet or else. And sadly, history has not forgotten this tactic. It's why we have police dogs and water hoses turned on peaceful protesters. And at a surface level, It's confusing. It's appalling, really. It doesn't make sense. This brute force, it doesn't make sense as a response to such nonviolent resistance. But when you look under the surface, when you see how power and control and authority are being threatened, then it makes perfect sense. No matter how nonviolent the resistance is physically, the resistance alone is a threat severe enough to trigger intense anxiety and brutal reactions. So when these commoners come in healing people, giving them hope in a resurrection, and continuing this Jesus as Messiah nonsense, they are threatening the establishment. This sign of healing is a huge threat to them. It's a sign in at least two respects. So first, it's a sign of Jesus's power working in and through them. This Jesus who they thought they had silenced once and for all. And second, it's a sign of the restoration of all things. The restoration that is coming and that was ushered in by Jesus. God is doing things we aren't expecting. So like we said last week, The story really isn't about healing a lame man. The text doesn't even say that the Jewish authorities are upset about the healing. Rather, they're upset about what Peter and John are preaching. They're teaching about the spiritual and social and physical dimensions of salvation. They're preaching about the forgiveness of sins, about physical healing, and about resurrection from the dead. All of these things in Jesus' name. Peter and John are out of bounds. They are speaking out of turn. They're stepping on toes. This is not their jurisdiction. We sure do have a lot of euphemisms to describe this concept, don't we? The problem isn't the healing per se. It's what this sign means. It's threatening their power, their control, their authority, For the Jewish leaders to accept the testimony of Peter and John would be to give up some of their power and authority, to accept that God has moved outside of the temple walls and is now at work powerfully through ordinary people, to admit that they might have gone a little too far with the authority and power granted to them. But the Jewish leaders, no way, they are not willing to do that. Instead, they cling even more tightly to their perceived power. Just like that, we're supposed to accept that God's working through these ordinary guys rather than us, the actual rulers of the people? No, no. We are supposed to be the ones in charge. We are the descendants of the covenant and the promise, and we come from the right lineage. We deserve to be in charge. We know what to expect from God, and this isn't it. If God wanted to do a new thing like this, God would do it through us. We are God's spokespeople. We are the ones authorized to interpret the law and to maintain order. So if God wanted to change things up, God would do it through us. Because in matters of religion, we are in charge. You see, we have this all figured out. We've got the right interpretation of God's word. We know how God desires the worship of God's people, and we are doing it right. For generations, we have told and retold the stories of God's faithfulness, even despite the unfaithfulness of our ancestors. But now we have it right. We have arrived. We figured it all out, and now we are the ones calling the shots. We get to decide who's in and who's out, and we are the ones God works through. So, what is the message for us today? Where do we find ourselves in this story? Are we among the crowd, listening, and learning, and believing, seeking to know more? Are we Peter or John, boldly and humbly proclaiming the message of Jesus no matter the cost? Are we the lame man waiting for the chance to be let in? Are we the rulers, so convinced that we have it all figured out that we're missing God's actual activity all around us? We're holding so tightly to the belief that we're the ones in charge, that we're actually oppressing and harming others where do we find ourselves in this story where do you find yourself in this story friends may we find ourselves in a place of openness a place of humility a place of seeking and discovering god's activity all around us may we find ourselves seeing people who are on the margins people who maybe have been left out or told that they don't belong or told that God is not for them or told that God does not like people like them, can't possibly love someone like them. May we be people who see them, who love them, who extend God's yes and God's love for them and who say, here, here's a seat right next to me at the table. May we hold loosely and with humility any authority, that has been granted to us. And may we find our hope in Jesus. If today you find yourself on the outside, without a seat at the table or a voice in the conversation, may you lean into the truth that you're always welcome in God's community. If you are one who wears the name minister, pastor, elder, shepherd, or are otherwise known as a faith leader, may you extend God's yes to those you might've said no to in the past. May you be emboldened and encouraged to honor the space that God has already created for all. Let's build bigger tables together. If something in you was stirred today, reach out. Hearing from you really does help to shape the future of this podcast. You'll have the greatest impact and opportunities for engagement by joining our Patreon community by clicking that Become a Patron button on our page, patreon.com slash Christie. And I would love for you to connect with me on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook at Jen Hale Christie. Lastly, you would really help others to connect with this work if you would subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next time.